Hey guys, Jake the Podcast Guy here, and welcome to Sunday Night Teacher Talk on Teacher Class Off Radio, where CJ Reynolds answers your questions live and in real time. You can participate in the show every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Real Rapper Reynolds YouTube channel. If you missed the live show, don't worry. Each episode is uploaded the following Monday to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join our Facebook group to communicate with other educators from around the world. Now, on to the episode. Welcome, everyone. Um, I, as we're getting started here, first of all, I'm finding in my life that I like fidgets, even th- broken fidgets. This oh, was one fidgets. of those things, and I just find myself playing with stuff all the time. The key is to find something that's silent. So my kids just got these fidgets that are, um, they're like some kind of like corrugated looking tube that you like, it's like, rah, 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 and it, that thing is annoying. And when Brody has it, and I'm on the phone with them, I'm like, can you please stop doing that? Because it sounds... <laughs> it's really not a very good fidget. It's so loud. It's it like... super loud. Yeah, I need things that are silent. So like this little marble is good. The other thing I'm thinking about is... Um, and maybe this will come up today. That I'm spending some time with is... One, when folks are having a hard time with the school year... This idea of grieving the school year. right? Grieving the job. Grieving what used to be. And I think... You know, what I'm learning about is how important that is to grieve the things that we have lost, to grieve the things that never really kind of came to be in in any sense that we really wanted them to. And then, you know, being mindful of when we talk about pouring into ourselves, we talk about uh, like, what's the, what am I saying? You're not paying attention. You're you're doing work. You're you're on, you're on the job. I I appreciate it. (laughs) When we talk about things like, um, sort of like pouring back into us, self-care, things of that nature. What we're oftentimes looking for is shelter. And it makes me think of the old, the Stone song, uh, Give Me Shelter. But what you're looking for is like, where are you finding shelter? So that if home is, there's a lot going on there too. Um, If you go to a second job and there's a lot going on there too. If you go to school and there's a lot going on there, what you need to do is find shelter. And so you are looking for places to kind of get out of the storm for a minute and to recalibrate Uh, before you execute and go back into what you're doing and so when I think about that I think about how chaotic home is sometimes like navigating kids and things of that nature it's really like that becomes the reason that date night on Friday nights is so utterly important and the people you're doing date night with like we last Friday we went out um, with an old student of mine and his husband and we had a really great time just hanging out and it was like so energy giving so life-giving but you're doing things like that and it's shelter from the storm for a moment. Um, Cause you're just, and not that life is always a storm, right? But you go through seasons and maybe this season that you're in right now is a particularly tumultuous one. So what could you do um, to find some shelter? Maybe that's hanging out with old friends. Maybe it's taking a walk in the park. Maybe it's like what, but they're like, these are, are things that I think are a low cost of entry, meaning they are not, you're not engaging in activities that are particularly tumultuous. They are not very, they're not taxing from you. So I'm not saying like just going for a run or working out, like those are great ideas too. But when you feel tired on like some deep soul level, um, it's looking for things that will just bring you up. Maybe that's going to a movie. Maybe, you know, you know what that is for you, but uh, finding shelter in those moments. And so with that, um, 
I think that's what we're... I didn't even plan this tie-in. I think that's what we're trying to do here. My name is CJ Reynolds, and I run this channel called Real Rap with Reynolds, and that doesn't mean I know how to rap. That is a skill I do not possess. What my students refer to real rap is um, when you are trying to have real talk. So my book is titled Teacher Class Off the Real Rap Guide to Teaching. It's not teaching you how to teach with rap, although I do talk about that in there. So that's ironic, I guess. But what I'm really trying to get at here is having real conversation about education bars. So here's what we do. You show up, ask questions, I answer them, but everybody else is going to answer them too because we are a community because we know that teaching is a communal activity. So that's just how we get down. So um, <coughs> excuse my coughing and the wife is sneezing a lot today. Uh, allergy season. Hello, welcome right to the first day of spring, spring. <laughs> aka allergy season. Mm. So we're going to jump right in to this. You got you ready? I am ready. All right. Our first question something comes in my eye. from Steph Shook, and she's asking, "How can you incorporate fun into the lessons when the students can't handle fun? I want I want fun, but they are just over the top and disrespectful. Just can't handle it." Sometimes we have to remember in teaching stuff that teaching. So right when we say education is only ever about the students, it is. I have to show up and educate people. That is my job. Sometimes I can have fun doing that. Sometimes kids can't handle fun. You're 100% right. I have classes that this week will do a project and not all students are doing the same project. So I'm realizing that like we, we do this project every year where we create children's books and um, I'm just over trying to find a one size fits all thing for all classes, right? So even in the class, right? There's kids that like have learning differences, learning styles that are different, learning um, like different ways they can engage their IEPs, their attention spans, their likes, their dislikes, all of these things that you're sort of navigating and, and in, that are informing your practice. But I no longer try to make all classes do a thing. So each of these classes is going to get a different project. I know that one of my periods cannot handle doing the children's book. I just know it's not going to get done, right? Um, I know some classes really can't handle just working quietly alone or in groups. They just can't do it. So instead of lamenting that, um, I just acknowledge it, know it, and then move on to the next thing. And then I'll tell you what, stuff like with so for those of us that are kind of lucky enough to teach a number of different classes during the day like different groups of students all day um it gives me more energy to show up to do the thing because because when i try to when i try and take a round peg and push it into a square hole that is so it's so taxing right so it's it's like that game that your kids have when they were little where like it was that kind of weird octagony thing and it had all the different shapes and you had to get it into the right hole it's so difficult to get the square shape and you're trying to shove it into the to the triangle spot. It doesn't work. But when you have the triangle piece, it just goes in so easy, so effortless. It's magical. And so it's, I think, trying to find what's going to work for those classes and just knowing that, like, look, kids are kids. And, and some of them, some kids just can't handle the space, the time, the freedom, the choice, the whatever. So it's finding what works best for them. And then just knowing that sometimes we just have to do things as educators and it's not fun. It's not as enjoyable. It's not the greatest thing in the world. Last week I did some review with kids. I knew like they have a really hard time when we try and do like a review game or something. And so it was, here's a study guide, but they did better on the test. 
Like it was like just here's here's the book. Like go look this stuff up and sometimes that just works better. And so it's about finding what works best for your students and doing that. Um and like I said, you could grieve the the ideal, the loss of not being able to do something fun. That's that's fine, that's healthy. But it's really entering in where your kids are ready and and where they can do what is being asked and then moving into that space. So um just from the comment section over here, Jacob Ingram said he did a children's book project this year and then donated the finished books to an orphanage. Oh, he I think he sent us a post about that or something like that. Uh DM maybe. Friggin' or, love it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see it, but love it. Awesome. Yeah, because yeah, they had fantastic. a like they had I think he had like legit books made out of them yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's so fantastic. sick. Okay, our next question comes from Mahisha. She's saying my thorn my thorn in my flesh revealed that I was his favorite teacher. Why does it seem that students who misbehave the most like you as the teacher the most? Great question. My thorn in my flesh. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Um, first of all, whenever Maisha asks a question, I really just think about right now, her cute dog is on her back, uh, on standing on a pillow, looking over her shoulder. Um <laughs> And that there will be a nap promptly after the show. Uh, I that's so. I had a kid. My first year in West Philadelphia, he was a senior, and was the worst, most like when I say the worst kid I ever taught. What I mean is, he would just curse at me. Like like I just I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't build a relationship. I couldn't figure out the lesson. None of the stuff that I typically talk about right worked it was just a hot mess every day and and like things were said to me that like i mean i was younger in my in my, in my profession but like i that would never i'd never let it pass now like like i like and i won't even say it on online because it's it was so horrific but it's uh graduation the students show up and they get two flowers at graduation and they walk out into the crowd. One of those flowers goes to a parent that helped them to get to school every day that did whatever they had to do to keep that kid in school, to get them to school, to get them to do their homework, that kind of thing. The other flower goes to an educator or some support in the building. And that's the person that made you want to stay in school. And I'll be damned if that kid didn't come over and give me his friggin' flower. <laughs> Now, the irony was the flower stem was broken, so <laughs> that said a lot, too. But um, I don't know. My intuition tells me that children really want to be held accountable. Young people really want consistency. They want boundaries. They want cons like they want that. It, it, it's not, not like a crushing way, but that, that Mr. Miyagi way of showing up and keeping it real and i'm going to tell you how it is i think kids thrive on that stuff and they don't want to though right they don't want like it's almost like you you can't let everyone know that you like that because you're still you're you but it's it is holding kids accountable and letting them know that you believe in them i the other night um one of my favorite students of all time romina who actually wrote the foreword to my book um, she stopped over and she has a roommate that she went to high school with, uh, this girl, Jennifer and Jennifer, she asked Jennifer when they were watching something on TV, something came up about a teacher and she goes, yo, who was your favorite teacher in ever? And she goes, oh, hands down, Mr. Reynolds. And I said, did you ask her why? And she said, yeah, because she told me 
that even when you used to get mad at us or you would yell at the class, you knew it wasn't because you were bad. It's because Mr. Reynolds just really cared about you. And so that was really telling to me in, in this last week that, that she came over and kind of blessed me with that story because it was such a reminder that, yeah, kids want you to show up. They want you to hold them accountable. They want, they, they want that. Um, even when everything else that they're doing and saying and showing says no, it's actually the thing that, that kids want. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. Why they make you work so hard for it is, uh, <laughs> I think, the bigger, one of my bigger questions. They make you crazy. They do. All kids, even your own. <laughs> um, hold on, I lost my... There was some kind of mysterious... I put my hand on the side of the desk and I felt something and I wasn't sure what it was. And I, got, I was like, oh, what could that be? <laughs> there is some glob of blue stuff on there. Right, yeah, that that's probably my daughter. All right, our next question comes for Manuel. Um, what do you do when the older veteran teachers try to eat the new teachers? How do you power <laughs> through that negative attitude? Oh my! <laughs> Just cover yourself in vinegar. That's what you do. Uh, I think. Um, I look. There's a lot of ways to kind of deal with this, and sometimes it can be overbearing. You know. There's, I'm, I'm processing this question because there's a lot, a lot, a lot that I could say about this. Um, and now for the third time, I'm going to reference my book. Um, and Chris Carson's going to be drunk by the time we've done this. <laughs> or really hopped up on caffeine. Yeah. Sometimes I forget my own book. You know what I mean? And there's oh, a whole yeah. thing in there called Toxic Teachers. And I don't mean that anyone by nature is toxic or like necessarily evil or something like that. Look, I, I think that... A lot of folks might have got chewed up by the system. They might have been beat down. And so misery loves company. And get down here with us because you're just when you know what you're, you do. Sometimes, um, what did I hear this say? Something to the effect, I read this somewhere at one point, that um, your light uh, aggravates other people's demons or your angels aggravate someone else's demons, something like that. When you are loving life, when you are getting along, when you are, things are fabulous, that holds a light up to other people, holds a mirror up or, or is a reminder to folks of what they don't have. And so I think when that happens, one, I just feel really bad for folks that it's like, this is where you've gotten to. And and I mean, I'm not judging them. I'm not blaming them, but it's, it is what it is, right? You, you are where you are. And, and, um, for whatever reason, maybe it was like your upbringing, maybe it's your, you know, you don't have a good marriage, your kids drive you crazy, you really don't like the job, the principal doesn't get along with you, you've never had the courage to step out and be the teacher that you were called to be, whatever it is, I say that all that without judgment, but like, it does, it makes me sad. Um, I think what do we do in turn is I just never let that in. Um, I, it, you know, I, there's one of my favorite books of all time that I think everyone should read is this book by Pat Croce, who used to be the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team. He wrote a book called I Am Great, I Feel Great and You Will Too. And uh, he talks about this idea in there that stuck with me. I've read this book, oh gosh, 20 years ago. And um, he has this line in there where he says he used to give people, he says hi to everyone. And if someone in the gym that he owned at the time did not say hi back, Pat Croce would give that person what he called the sonic boom hello. And that that hello was like, now 
you're gonna feel now i'm going you're getting the high five i'm gonna put you on blast right because and this isn't i'm not talking about like i just want to caveat if you have a student that is introverted that is um socially awkward the sonic boom hello is not for that kid right but what what that meant to me was not just saying hi to someone really loud so that they have to say hi back to me which is what will happen um it is being it is being explosive in my positivity in my optimism in my fun um as a way to not make someone else feel bad right it's a way of me it's how i fight back right it's it's literally how i how i'm going to meet your constant negative attitude is by me being so over the top excited that now i'm gonna you know that wears people down or at least lets them know like bro no i'm not going that way i don't have to like fight i'm not even fighting fire with fire i don't know what i'm fighting what with what with but it's you know the opposite of that i think the other thing is um is building relationships with those folks to the extent that you can and if you can't then just stay away from them. Just, I don't even, that's why I don't go eat lunch with people. That's why I don't hang out with certain people. Cause I just, there's certain folks I see in the hallway and I go, Oh, you're hanging out here. Not doing it. Not doing it. Um, you're going to be in that room. Not going in there. Not cause I'm afraid. Cause I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing that stuff. I think another piece is inviting people into your awesome. It is really when you do have fun stuff, exciting stuff, things that you think that they would like that they would think of it's inviting people into that. And I think love wears people down and you can wear folks down with your love, with your kindness, with your excitement um, and calling out the awesome, the exciting, the love that you see in other people. Um, Yeah, I just think that my son does this so well and he's a constant reminder to me where, you know, somebody will be like walking down the street or I see someone like, uh, you know, in our town, you could tell who has a DUI because they wear like a like a tool belt and a hard hat and they're riding like their child's bike to work. And so you just see it. And, and in my head, I just say like a quick prayer for people, but my son will be like, Oh man, at least that guy had a bike to get to work with like that. Like he always looks at things like that all the time. I'm, I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, man, that must be like embarrassing. You got to show up at the job. site, you got pink mountain bike, you know, that you're, you're rocking. And, uh, then you got to get on the bus. You got to put it on the front of the bus and it's a whole thing. And Broad's like, thank God they have a bike to get here with. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it is, I think, trying to look for the good in other people that they oftentimes cannot see in themselves and then calling that out and holding a mirror up to it. And when that doesn't work, just, I just stay away from folks. It's yeah. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Summer. She's asking, how do you separate yourself from the responsibility of parenting your students? My kids need so much from me, and I feel like I'm incapable of meeting all of those needs, and I feel guilty. Yeah, so you for sure are incapable of meeting all those needs. So let's call that out right away. Um, I read an article. I'm just going to say that um, social and emotional uh, is even – it's just so much lower for kids due to COVID. And I, I, in your question, I just see so many people, like, in our Facebook group or just online, like – I just, all I ever look at is educational stuff, it seems like. And it seems like kids are just, it's like, I don't know, being home for a, a minute, like a year for a lot of kids. Like it really sponges dry. how to interact. They forgot that they don't get to like, you know, 
don't interrupt people, like all the really basic rules. I feel like kids are really struggling with, which is really driving teachers bonkers. Yeah, it's the sponge. No, you're right. The sponge is dry. And so, um, so what do we do with that? We realize that we are not the only ones. We give what we can. And you know that, look, you, the, you don't know how far a blessing is that you give someone else. You don't know how far that love is going to carry them. You don't know, like we always see the need. And so we keep giving and giving and giving. And then what happens is you end up with compassion fatigue, which is like literally you've given so much, you've shared so much, you've been so kind and loving and whatever that you are like tired on a soul level where you don't feel like you can give anything else out so that, you know, and then that can make you stingy with your love going forward because you feel you don't want to feel like that. So you're so you start holding back. I think it's giving what you can and knowing that, look, if you donate to something, if you if there is a, a nonprofit, if there is, you know, in our neighborhood starting probably starting this week, they're going to start doing this again, where every stoplight has oh, someone with a hat spring. that is like, hey, girls softball, cheerleading, um, the Lions Club, the vets. Soccer. It's like, yeah, soccer. There's always a thing every weekend. And I run out of change, right? You I just live like, in that, man. I go through those people like back and forth if I'm running errands, like yeah. sometimes like six to eight times a day. I'm not look at you every and, single time. And when you don't give money, they look at you like there's something like you did something wrong. It's, it's like, like, bro, I passed you five I ju- times already. But I just passed your homie at the last light. Yeah. Like I just gave that guy my change. Can you put a sticker on my car so everyone knows I already <laughs> gave? But you know, my point is that when we donate to something, you don't give all your money, right? And you don't and and even if you gave all your money, you know it's not gonna fix childhood cancer, right? Like I know that my donation to the Ronald McDonald house or to St. Jude's isn't going to be the thing that they're like, bro, Reynolds, we did it, man. You gave all your money, cured childhood cancer. It's over. It's not. What you're doing is it's the act of giving. It is showing other folks that you're giving. It is your contribution in some small way to make things move the needle to the better, right? It's not giving your all every day and then you're dead. Um, don't do that. Know what feels right to you. Know how much you can give. Know what you've got in you. And then it will be all right. Kids oftentimes also act like, are you doing a dance over there all of a sudden? <laughs> you need to start thinking of that thought of, you're going to be all right. Oh. <laughs> I heard it this morning. You, you 100% did a, some kind of TikTok situation. Of... That was a... No, that was adorable. Um, some. um, so you are, kids will often f- make you feel like, I mean, like, look, whenever my kids say anything, whenever they're hungry, they're starving. I am start, bro. You're a hundred percent not starving right now. <laughs> like, let's walk to, through the symptoms of starvation. You're not anywhere near there. Um, when they're like, we don't do anything. We don't go anywhere. I'm never allowed to do this. Everything is always zero or 10, right? So it's knowing that even though a kid might be acting like they just need, 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 that is, I think it's an insatiable appetite sometimes. So it's give what you can give, give the best that you can give, and then fill yourself back up and know that that was your contribution to to help to, to helping and not feeling like you have to do it all because you can't do it all even though teaching is a communal activity we all can't do it all 
to even together. So it's like showing up and giving what you can. And I think that that's, and then being all right, like tell yourself, all right, just like literally say it. That's it. That's all I got to give today. I did it. Yeah, Chris Carson had a great comment. He said, do what you have the power to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Your kindness will go far. And I also really loved what Maisha said. She said, going back to school business as usual opened up more concerns than just learning loss. Yep. Which is so true. 100%. But we don't talk about those things. Nope. Does she need something? No, I think she's trying to let the dog out. All right. And he is undecided. He's staying with us. We're making it in there. Making okay. food. Okay, grilled cheese. Girl making grilled all cheese. Right, Probably making on. a quesadilla. That's all that kid eats. All right, tortillas. Oh. Okay, come on. <laughs> Kyle's, <laughs> Kyle's up with a question, and he is asking, going to be interviewing soon. Any interview tips? I do. So, Kyle, on my channel, um, this works better on a computer. I don't know. I don't think you can search on a on a on a like a phone or something. Um, go to the top, and there's like a little magnifying glass. You can search things and just put in interview. There's a video I made with, um, uh, oh my gosh, Letter Classroom, Bridget from Letter Classroom years ago. And we talked about everything from college to interviews to all that stuff. That is a really good interview for you to check out. And then I even, I think I pulled a section from that and made an interview version of that too. Um, and then I have another thing on there for job interviews. My, my, the short of this is if I was just to give you like three things to walk away with right now, it is one, um, remember that you're not just being interviewed, you're interviewing the school. You want to see if the school's a good fit. Don't just take anything because someone's willing to give you a job. It's really, unless like if you're in dire need and like, you know, your family really needs it or you're going to get foreclosed on your house or something like that, you know, do what you got to do. But um, interviewing schools is a good thing to do also. So, And then the second thing is do your due diligence. Look at their website, check out their newsletter, um, like Google them, have some sense of the space and place that you're going into, and then talk about that. Ask them questions too. Hey, how do you guys, how do y'all like, do you pay in the summer? Um, how many classes do teachers typically have to, to teach? How many preps do you have? Like, so how many different types of classes am I teaching? What other responsibilities and roles are teachers asked to perform? So do you have to teach an after school program also? Do you have to do lunch duty? Do you have to do bus duty? Like what is the day, what is a typical day for a teacher look like? Um, do y'all have curriculum curriculum? Is there a scope and sequence that I can see now? Um, it's all that kind of stuff that you want to make sure that you ask them too to make sure this is something place that you can see yourself fitting into and then you know one of the best pieces of advice i've ever been given is to hand write a note that you're going to give to them when you're done so have that thing prepared um i have a ton i have this is a letter from john lopez but um i just happened to have sitting on my desk but it's like having this prepped already hand write it if you can't write then type um Hey, thanks so much for meeting with me today. It was really great. I hope to hear back from you soon, blah, blah, whatever you're going to say. And then I already have it addressed and stamped. You walk out the building, find the nearest uh, mailbox and put it in. Don't go home and do it. Don't go home and write it. You want that thing there as quick as you can because then it's going to be top of mind for the folks that you're doing this. And it's the little, you sprinkle a little magic on your interview because nobody, I'm going to tell you right now, unless other people from this this year podcast, this year live feed are listening to this. No one else is doing that. So it's going to, it goes really far and puts a personal touch on this, this moment. Cause they probably interviewed a dozen people that day. Um, so you're making yourself stand out in that way. 
Sharon Murphy had a good uh, comment. She's saying, my question in interviews was, how often will I see you in the hall to just be present? Or just to be present. Like, mm. they're asking their administrator that question. And that's, I think that's a really telling one. Mine would say, Let's see how true they are. Never. It, Almost never. Your actual admin, admin? Yeah, they would say that for sure. Um, all right, our next question comes from Katie. Do she's it. asking, I think she's, all right. Have you ever had a group that was super toxic to each other? I think she's talking about students. Students, yeah. Yeah. How did you work towards alleviating it? Our guidance counselor and GA team is struggling with one class that is just awful to each other. So I did. Um, they graduated two years ago. Uh, actually, I was talking about these guys. So these guys on the front, fourth reference um, <laughs> to my book, um, were in that class. So this is uh, DJ Dirty Kev. Uh, that's his name, not mine. And uh, hugs, because we just thought he looked like he needed hugs a lot. So those guys were in a class that, you know, our school being an all-boys school, by the time you're a senior, there is an unbelievable, unbelievable amount of brotherhood that forms around our students. Like, they just, they they link for life, a lot of our guys. And our school has is, is historically been a place that kids come back to, to kind of get dip back into that to see their friends to be a part of things like it's really it's it has been um a really wonderful place in that way um now that being said a group that graduated two years ago so this is like the year that we all went home that march um because of the pandemic um gosh they were just horrible to one another by and large i mean they were just like tear each other down but in ways where you're just like no oh, it's not even it's not even nice like I make fun of people all the time. It's like one of my favorite parts of my day. This is like how I, I, I love students a lot of times. It's just by messing around, but that was just awful. Um, I think it's about figuring out where some of that is coming from. I think it's sitting down with individuals. We found a lot of success in peer mediation, um, but it was done by my buddy and this guy, Phil ran it. And Phil was just a real down to earth, real like, not scripted kind of, you know, I, I think some of those programs can sometimes be a little bit too scripted and, and um, it feels like someone's a robot that's running them. That's my robot thing. For those of you that you can't see my robot moves, um, which doesn't really look like a robot, but you are, he was really down to earth and able to have those conversations. And then I think it's about helping kids to see what they're doing, helping kids to see how they're acting and better ways to, to deal with those sorts of things. And so it's, you know, it goes back to this idea that like everyone's fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Um, I don't think kids don't want to get along. I think that kids are trying to do something with their hurt most often. They're trying to share or they're trying to express that hurt in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes those ways aren't healthy. And so we talk about this all the time where is she burning herself? All right. Oh, there's shit on fire in there, I think. Gosh, I don't know what happened. Um, that was a grilled cheese fail. Sorry, this is this is real life right now. So it's it's helping kids unpack some of the hurt, helping them to speak their truth, but then learning how to listen to other people too, learning how to get through it with other people, learning how to love other people, learning that you know although love is more difficult than hate, infinitely it's so much easier 
to commiserate with people. It's so easy. Like, if you want to connect with someone, just find someone that hates the same thing you do, and it's game the frig on. That being positive is hard work, but it just feels so much better. That hate, it is, it's taxing. It takes so much energy. But sometimes kids don't realize that, right? They're trying to figure out the power dynamic um, in their own lives. They're trying to figure out how do they have power and how much power do they have and all those sorts of things. And so it's helping kids understand and move towards this, um, I don't know, like a, a system that I think is just kind of, it's more filled with light and how good that that feels it's and how much healthier it is. I was going to yeah. say, like our goal, I, I often wonder how healthy adults are i don't think it's something that we talk about i always say this i think social and emotional i was half in and out i don't know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about i just am such a believer of social and emotional intelligence for children and i think some of that comes from because i see so many adults myself included that is still working out of like back of how to be a fully functioning emotionally healthy adult when even when you think about so that makes me in think of very stressful circumstances right like life is just stressful and it's like are we going to handle that how do we handle all that the movie american history x there's a great line at the end where uh the character the young brother who's caught up like in this white power world mm -hmm. says that hate is baggage and when you think about that and you think about when you don't like someone you have to constantly in your mind yeah. keep the tally of when they wronged you, how they wronged you, who they were with, when it went down, how it went I don't down. I you realize that you even do it. You're carrying like that. all that yeah, stuff with you. And then, but when you can just let that go, because you realize it doesn't really matter that much anyway, and like just move on from that person and don't even hang out with them. And then you don't have to like do, like, I don't want to keep a, a scorecard. Like that's, a, that's a harder road. That's a lot to carry with you. That's through. baggage, man. And it's letting that stuff go. You don't understand how free that feels because you what you want is to get back at someone and yeah i just know that the times in my life that i've been able to do that is th th literally literally changed my like i like instantaneous moments that i forgave someone that didn't even deserve it oh agreed it is like it's yeah. magical so yeah easier said than done sorry i hope i answered that well but there was a grilled cheese incident <laughs> Um, that's the title that's the title of this week's podcast is the grilled cheese incident <laughs> all right our next question comes from anthony he is asking in terms of being critical as a teacher is it harder to do if you're teaching a special diploma class with kids who need more attention or a regular diploma class um i, I would think general ed versus special ed is what yeah so think. in terms of being critical as a teacher uh so i'll say this I think of this question and I think of the person, your evaluation. So you're, that's what I was going to okay, say. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, let me see if this answers your question and then I'll, I'll say what I think. I got evaluated my, uh, my formal observation. I've been observed 10, well, but nine times my co-teacher got observed in the same day that I did. So there was someone observing our class 10 times this year. Uh, but I've been personally observed nine times this year. Um, which is more times than I probably have been observed in the last 10 years. But um, I got my formal observation. Uh, I teach ninth grade literature and I teach all of the co-taught classes, meaning we have an enormous number of students. The majority of our students have IEPs. A lot, a lot of our students have um, emotional 
stuff they're trying like 504s and things of that nature that they're you know things are working through so it's it's heavy lifting right every day in the classes that that we teach um and so i get observed and i was told that my observation the person that did my observation said this exact line that my classroom management was flawless and i thought oh wow that's like that's some that's like a really nice thing to say and I got, so we use the Danielson model. Um, and you can see even the way I, how I say that is like, it's the Danielson model. Um, I'm not really into it because I think it takes a level of, it takes personality out of it. It takes, it takes uh, not personality. It takes, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it makes it robotic. It makes it, it's like a straight rubric. It's right or wrong. It's black or white. And so in that I got all proficient. I did not get anything distinguished, which is the highest level. So in the meeting, I say, hey, I'm, I'm curious. Um, what do you have to do to get, like, what could I have done to get distinguished? Like, if that's why we're here, then let's move into the distinguished thing. Like, let's learn how to do that. I was told, oh, yeah, I don't think you're never going to get into the distinguished thing. Like, you know, uh, I was told proficiency is where we live. Distinguished is where we visit. Okay, fair. Uh, like, like I'll, I'll even ride with that. I'm just coming to you out of curiosity. How would I get distinguished? I was told that by nature of the students that I taught in that class, the grades that they were at, the abilities that they were at, um, the behaviors that were generally exhibited, that I would never get into distinguished. So I said, uh, so out of curiosity again, uh, so like it's always curiosity. It's never just like putting my foot down. I'm just, I'm looking for more and more and more information. Hey, can you explain to me someone that got distinguished? Maybe that's a better way to talk about this. Who got distinguished this year and why? Can you share that information? Well, the person that teaches AP history um, got uh, distinguished in a few sections, but that's because this is how their class ran and this is what happened in it. Okay, so am I getting this right? Again, curiosity. My ninth grade co-taught class with my students that are in ninth grade, but many are on a kindergarten to second grade reading level, are being held to the same caliber as a 12th grade AP student. She said, well, that's what the, I'm just going off what the rubric says. I said, but shouldn't there be a different rubric then? Because if you're saying that my, in your words, that my classroom management was flawless, how does that not get it distinguished well because the, because this 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 and this and and it was like all stuff that like my students need right so like the students have to come in and i have like it's very systematized to, to optimize our entire class it's timers it's no it's it's just it's a different game well, you have it, than you just have it scheduled for what your kids need yes for who they are and how they and she agreed she said no what you're doing is great it's exactly what they need right but because yeah, it's not run like this other class i don't get the distinguished right which ultimately you know what i don't even care because right. you clearly don't even know what the hell you're talking about and like you don't really get it but if I if this if my raise is based on this and my family like I'm not making any other money on the side and like I should even have to do that right that are right like this question like this guy Anthony is saying he's like if they're being critical is it can you do it equally if you're at a general I, I think if I was to stay at my school beyond this year 
I would push back enormously on that. Um, because I, because that, that's the problem I have when we overly systematize things or overly homogenize things is it becomes there's a black and white, there's a right and wrong, and it's we're not looking at nuance. We're not looking at levels of kids. We're not looking at teachers' abilities. We're not looking at how did you grow as an individual this year? We're holding you to some sort of like arbitrary standard that we tried to make like this one-size-fits-all plan for teachers just like we do with education all the time and say oh everyone get this textbook and or this program and you'll be reading in no time and it's like it's not how it works um and so i i do think that that i I think it is harder but i think that's why folks don't want to do it um and next year's co-talk classes might be a sixth grade reading level for the majority of the students. So that's even that's going to change then the way I do things and and shape things. But this particular year with these particular students and this particular co-teaching environment is much more difficult. Um, and and coming out of COVID and all these other things, it's like uh, it, it is a mess. So, look, if you're not getting it, um, if you're not getting the love or the praise or the attention or the or not even just love and praise and attention. If you're not getting like a true, um, if you're not getting true critiques uh, or observations, I think that it takes, it's pushing back. It's always, it's, it is speaking your truth. Don't expect that they're going to get it. Um, you have to push back and, and find other people that will do it too, because what you're doing ultimately, right? Remember this is for the betterment of your students, but it's also for the, your own betterment, right? You want to get better as a teacher. You want to get the biggest raise that you can, so you can, you know, do what you need to do with your family and not have to work second jobs at Hooters at night. I just wanted to drop Hooters in there. I don't know why that popped in my head. I've only ever been there once in my life. I don't even know if you should say that you've ever been there. I've been there. And I'm going to tell you what, I was 14. We were on vacation. And for some reason, that's where my parents went. I don't know if they didn't know what we were doing, but we all went to Hooters. You know how weird it is when you're 14 to be in Hooters with your parents? It's awful. Maybe that's why I never went back. I was just like, I can't do it. I got, PT- I got Hooters PTSD. <laughs> Moving on. Hilarious. All right, our next question comes from Celia. She's asking, I am currently doing research uh, about using green screens in the classroom for a paper for uni. Still getting my degree. Do you have any experience or maybe a resource for me? Heck yeah. Um, I love doing green screen stuff. Um, you can do it with, uh, if you have a, macbook or imac um really simply and i so when we went into virtual i loved using green screen because it just made me able to change my background every day it made me able to change um if i was talking about something um i could be there all of a sudden so if i'm talking about the story the sniper um we can be in in ireland if we were talking about the merchant of venice bam we're in venice and here's where we are and this is what's going on you kind of look like a like a weather person, like talking people through stuff. It has been incredibly fun. I have a friend that in school, my buddy, Mr. Diawara, um, I don't know if he still does this, but he used to make videos, all of his pre-class stuff, right? So the stuff you do in the very, as soon as you come in the class, that activity was solely taught off of a screen. He would record himself and um, in all these different places. And then he would do a really quick lesson. So while that was happening, the kids were in the back and they were doing work and he could like take attendance. He could make sure like late kids were coming in, had stuff. Someone that was absent yesterday was squared away. They knew what was going on. It bought him some time. And I think that 
using a green screen and something like that only accentuates the experience and you can do a thousand fun things with it. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I did. So, um, I, some help for that might be in, uh, if you go on our YouTube channel and look up, I had a, it was something in distance learning. Yeah. Using a green screen and distance, like that's the thumbnail. Distance learning or virtual learning or something like that had in the beginning. It was this time last year, probably Uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that could probably help you out. All right. Our next question comes from Jesse. It's a few, oops, sorry. Take your time. Um, it's a few different comments. So she says, cool. I just popped in, so I may have missed if you've already responded to something similar. How Never do you problem. set healthy boundaries? I feel like I need to save every kid. Teaching high school is so hard. She says, they just seem so stuck in their ways. Um, drugs, fighting, etc. I was a police officer prior, and it's hard to turn that part of me off. I wanted to teach to help them before they make bad decisions that land them in jail. I feel like I'm failing at that. It's hard to focus on teaching English with the behavior, language, etc. All right. So this is a really wonderful question. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a lot to talk about here. I'll try and pare it down. What I That's why this show should be called short question long answer. I always I go, "All right. I love when I go, "All right, let's just hit some let's fast questions. Fast. <laughs> let's hit them fast." Cuz they never hit them fast. I'm you just like I start round. off fast. We just end up going further faster. That's what we do. Um, so I think the first thing, Jesse, is this idea of, and look, you, it is what it is, but sometimes we go into this work with this idea that we're going to save kids and that's not the game, but you're right. I think that the ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. We can't save anyone. What we can do is influence folks. And I think the best way to have influence is to stick it you have to stick with it. You have to remember that the work that you're doing is not just happening this year, this month. Um, for me, it's forever, right? I went out to dinner with um, an old student uh, who got, I went to his wedding this year. And then um, we went out with that couple this last Friday to hang out. But this is a regular thing for us. Like I love that because what it shows me and what I'm, what it changes in my head is this idea that, I need to make sure this happens so fast and this year or next year or before, like it is not even next year. It's not taking it off the plate for just right now that I am going to, I'm going to wear you down with love eventually. So maybe that's next year when I'm not your teacher and you'll see there's a huge difference when you were able to build some level of connection with the child, even if it wasn't perfect when they're in someone else's class and now you're just helping them. You're no longer having to teach them also. So you're only there for the social emotional stuff. It let it, your voice is a bit louder. They, they take it with a, uh, a bit more effortlessly because <clears throat> they're used to you because you have already connected and things of that nature. So with that, it's then thinking, well, as a freshman teacher, I have four years, sometimes five with kids. Um, but then I'm always going to follow up. Right. So like in just the last couple of weeks, I've like had students come visit me at school. I went to an old student's mother's funeral. I went to another student's house to go drop something off to them, um, ran into some people at, at the food store, went out to dinner with some folks, um, did a phone call yesterday with two old students. <clears throat> and so sorry, I keep coughing. I'm just like 
I don't talk this much before I get on here every day. So it's it's getting this idea of like, it doesn't have to happen now. It just has to happen. And then you do what is your best and you will get better at it. So it is, you know, I'm going to use a really extreme example right now. And this is not something that I ever like, like it's, it's some, some of the things that, you know, we go through as educators are like not the best example to share with people, but I just think I love this example. And I think that it will, um, it, it, it shows what I'm kind of talking about here. So um, I had a young woman who I really got along with. She was a freshman in, in my English class, uh, and she was part of what we called our Fab Five. There was a small group of students that, like in my first two years of teaching, that we took everywhere. We took them to plays. We took them to dinners. We took them to um, concerts and art shows and all kinds of stuff. They were just with us. Like we took a lot of kids, but there was always the core. If you could only get a handful of people into a place, this was our group that we took. She was a part of that group. Um, her junior year, junior year of high school, I think, maybe senior year of high school, she got pregnant. Um, and then in that same year, there was like a lot of things going on at home. Um, and she felt like she had real, in retrospect, they didn't realize this at the time, right? Because we don't ever know all the battles people are fighting is that she had really serious case of postpartum depression and that um, really would like beat herself up, had a really tough end to her college career. And this was a young woman that was like destined for Ivy League, for going to school to be the engineer that she wanted to be. And just like, it was just gonna, like you just saw it was almost effortless. It was so fun to be a part of her story. And then she had a baby and that really changed things. And when she was graduating, I wrote her a letter just encouraging her and telling her how much she has meant to me, to our family, to our group that, that we were together with. And then I said a line from one of my favorite poems by this guy, Derek Brown. At the end, I said, no matter what the rest of the world ever tells you, I want you to remember that you belong everywhere. And years later, years and years and years later, I get... Um, I get a text from her and she says, can I tell you something? Um, and it might be a little bit awkward for you. I said, sure. This is why I live. I teach ninth grade. I live in awkward. <laughs> she says, you wrote me this letter. I don't even know if you remember it. And I hand wrote it. And she said, at the end of it, you said, you told me that I belong everywhere. And she said, as a young woman from Nicaragua, who had a baby before she even graduated high school, who had to navigate college and all these sort of things, all the stuff right that young women have to have to endure she said that line has stuck with me and got me through some really difficult places i didn't even know i had no idea that that ever resonated with her we didn't talk about the letter i only sporadically saw her or talked to her since then but like for whatever reason she reached out to me and told me and then she goes can i send you a picture of something i said yes she sends me a picture and on her forearm is my handwriting that says you belong everywhere. And it floored me on such a level because what that really taught me is, is that, look, you just don't know what the seed you're planting is going to do. And I think we need to rest in that sometimes as educators, that sometimes you plant a seed and it grows really quick. Like if you plant morning glories here where we live in New Jersey, they grow fast and furious and they repopulate all over the place. You got friggin' morning glories everywhere. But if you plant bamboo or asparagus, 
that takes a really long time. Like you can't even you can't even harvest the first asparagus that you get. Like it has to keep coming up again and again and again. But that you know, not chance of t sounding cheesy. It's like in every acorn there it can grow an entire tree. It's all in there. All that treeness is already in there. All that special magic is already in there. But when we plant things, sometimes we get to see the effect that we've had on the children's lives. Sometimes we've been able to see how they grow. And other times you dropped an acorn or a seed somewhere. You didn't even, you didn't even know it fell out of your pocket, right? It was like a, 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 a something that you didn't think that was that big of a deal. That was a huge deal to a child. So I think with that, it is showing up every day. It is giving what you can and then watering that seed, giving it the kindness and the love and the sunshine that you can, but then knowing that, look, you just don't know how far what you're doing or saying is going to go. And that story to me was like the epitome of that, that I just had no idea. And then have someone send me my handwriting on their arm was like, what? And so, look, maybe you don't get a tattoo of some kid that somebody got on, on their body with you. Um, that's, and that's fine. Like, it's unreasonable to think that. That's not the goal. <laughs> yeah. But the goal is that you're showing up and giving what you can. Um, and then I just pray over that and hope that it multiplies. And that's how I get through my days. So, yeah. I think you just can't forget that you can't underestimate, like, what something does when it grows. You you don't, you don't know how far your influence goes. Mm -hmm. You just don't know how you're changing lives. It's hard so don't you, you can't, see it, especially because her job, like the reason, you know, coming from a police officer, I get wanting to come in and like preventative care, right? But yeah. like the reality is, is you can only plant seeds. That's but but over time, but know that you that get better at it, something. right? So like now, I don't have classroom management issues because I shut stuff down. But I know how to do that. I know how I yeah. am going to do that, right? And so everyone's different, but it's learning who you are and what you're about and the students and where they come from and the community that you're working with and how you're going to best like work within that community to be a part of it and work with other teachers. And like you start optimizing and systematizing and moving these things around so you get better and better and better and better at what you're doing. Then it's like effortless. It's like you're not looking at the keys on the piano when you're trying to play them. You're just like talking to somebody and singing a song and, and you're just like rocking out and it's amazing and you get to that point all right our next question that was a really from... long answer there was no shortness in there there was, was not there's no shortness in anything i know that's what i do all right jacob is asking i've noticed that since well and we kind of already talked about this but let's do we it can, maybe you can hit this one quick we'll oh see. we'll see <laughs> i've noticed that since the school shut down the students maturity level is about two years behind is there anything we can do to help them catch up here my high schoolers act like seventh graders i constantly tell kids jacob that um i hold a mirror up to their behavior and talk about it and not in a way that tears them down or makes them feel bad but it's like yo y'all like i'm, I'm i just asked four times for you to stop like usually i count down from five and by two everyone's silent maybe i have to do that twice sometimes i this year i'm doing it four times and i get to the point where i just stand there and i have to like take a breath and i go all right and the kids go, yo, chill, chill. He's gonna, he's getting mad because um, no one likes to see Reynolds mad. And I just go, yo, you have to, yo, I need you to check yourselves. Like that was four times, four times, right? That I'm trying to just convey something simple and we're not listening. Like I need you to take a breath to notice and then let's move on. And the next time I count down from five, I really need you to be 
mindful that because what we're doing here, and this is another thing, what we're doing here is trying to help you find success, right? Like what, I want you to live the life you dream of living. I don't want you to live in mom's basement next to the Christmas decorations for the rest of your life. I want you to be wildly successful. So let's get there. Let's do that. And it's reminding kids of the why it's having patience with kids, but I think, you know, and, and it's, it's holding that mirror up, but I think some of it, Jacob is, is just having the patience. It is, it's reminding ourselves that we are dealing with, and I say this a lot, but it's bears repeating. We're dealing with children and we're dealing with stuff that like our kids, like, you know, I'm going to say this, bro. I'm going to say this to everybody here. You, you were not, and, and I'm going to sound like Yoda or something all of a sudden, but I don't think any of us were born right now on accident. I think that this is like, this is the work we've been given to do. You were born at this time and place on purpose. And so this is the stuff we've been given to work through, but that we have to remember that, that the job changed, that it got harder, that it's more difficult. So we need to become better to do the work that was given to us, right? It's like, things have developed and changed. And so, and look, this is part of that, like showing up on a Sunday and, and getting feedback, connecting with other people, finding that shelter that I talked about in the beginning from the storm here is about that. And so it's finding small, sustainable ways to, to course correct, to recalibrate, to get better over time. Um, because what got you here isn't what's going to get you to the next level, right? You need to, you need to, Think, how do I become next level better um, like a teacher? And so that's uh, Al Shemeyer's book, uh, Next Level Teaching, right? Oh, yeah. So um, it's how do you get to be better? And then you show up and then you're better for your kids. And then, I, but I, so I think that's part of it too. So it's it's a little bit convoluted. It's, there's no, I don't think there's a straight path. There's not like a one answer for that. But I think that those are some of the, the traits of what are going to help you through that situation. I also just think it's like, what can you do about it? It's like, I think that the reality is, is yeah, 100% that did happen. Everybody's maturity level has probably been affected um, by it. And the reality is they just are where they are. They're children. You have to meet them where they are and bring them up. And, and so, or, and high expectations. But that can be really daunting. Sure. I, so I think the other piece is absolutely. your school has to get together and make things happen yeah i think i think it's time for administrators to realize that like no this is it's not just behavioral issues it's like we've had a real impact through covid which is what's happened to all the children and like we need to maybe revamp some things because we've had changes systems have to change 100 percent. yeah okay i'm gonna do two more questions i got an easy one and then a big one for you the first one comes from de la classroom is asking any silly things your students have said whether to you or just or something you overheard. My students told me my mask is not optional to put down because of my uh, questionable mustache. Oh. <laughs> um, silly things kids have said. I mean, I always get stuff. where ki- Kids ask me all the time if I dye my hair white. Mm. Did you dye your hair like that? No. No. Um, but then I was in a class and... <clears throat> there was a, I, don't think, I don't know if I told you this. There's a new teacher sitting behind me. I'm talking to kids... And this kid asked me if I dyed my hair white. I said, no. He said, well, why is your hair white? I said, because when I was 19, I got struck by lightning and it immediately turned my hair white. And it's been white ever since. And the kids look at me like they're not really sure how to take that. And the teacher behind me goes, yo, Reynolds, yo, did you really get struck by lightning, bro? Bro, what? 
I don't even know that that happens. We I like I don't know, like maybe I don't know. I've never known anyone that got struck by lightning, but like he really questioned. Yeah, like he really wondered about that. Um, I have kids that ask me like, um, where I went to college, and I just make things up. I tell them I went to Clown College, and it was a really big deal. Why don't I wear on Fridays? Why don't I wear my college sweatshirt? Because because Clown College didn't have a sweatshirt; it had a whole so outfit. So what you're saying is, is that you don't really have a whole lot of crazy things that they you you're the one who says the crazy things. It's yeah, I mean, kids. What else? Do I, I, it's mostly your hair. I feel like they always ask about your. They hair. always ask about my hair. Guy. They ask to touch my hair a lot. Mm -hmm. I get that a lot. Yo Reynolds, really, yo, I'm not trying to be weird, but can I just touch your hair real quick? Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. I'm like, I'm like, I get it. Um, it's. Yeah. Uh, or, or I like when kids ask me if I've, um, how many kids you have, Reynolds? I always go two that I know of, and they, then they're always just like, wait, yo, and I'm like, there are a couple lost years there in college kids. I don't really know, um, and which is total nonsense. Like, but yeah. So I think more about the things I say, but I'm there are a gazillion things. I just am having yeah, a hard time. I told you when you used to do like. Um, certain hair gel and it made your hair harder they said that your hair felt like sticks yeah <laughs> yo it's all crispy no because some one kid would touch there's a video of this online some kid touched my hair and then they all go yo oh you gotta feel it I thought it was gonna be soft it's, it's like sticks like, like six or eight kids around then all of a sudden you just see this video and it's like <laughs> everyone's touching my hair and feeling it it's just like this is what we're living through they're so weird right now just every, curiosity got the best of everybody alright let's move on to our next um, question and we'll say this is our final one because this is a lengthy one and Got boy, it. you know what this is if it's close to my heart um, oh it's special ed Andrea is asking what can you do to make a difference when you are up against a broken system as a case manager and a sped teacher I have way too many 8th graders reading on a 3rd grade reading level I don't see reading, a remediation happening at the secondary level it's a bunch of com compensatory compensatory thank you Skills at this point, I feel like a fraud managing these IEPs when I don't have the resources or the time to bridge the gap. I'm a co-teacher for eighth grade math. Oh, God. This is my heart, man. We're going to start like this. We're going to start by just saying, what a wonderful profile picture, because you know I love that. Um, those are great flowers. Um, you know, Andrea, I have a really hard time with this as well. Teaching a co-taught class, but being like the quote-unquote lead teacher so i'm not special ed certified but i work with all those students um it's really hard when you see kids that are in a kindergarten reading level or a second grade reading level and then we don't even have small group for kids we're, we just put them in like some whatever program we paid for because we paid for it and now we're going to put you in that group and you're going to learn to do through this thing but you're not really learning yeah, but there... we don't even have a reading specialist at our school yeah because because she's right remediation doesn't happen at the secondary level it's not like once they're done elementary middle school at the most and that doesn't even happen there it's like we're just reading to read because yeah. reading to learn versus learning to read yeah like it just and, but, right. and you can happen. go you so can go back and help kids right if you if you had the programs in place, something good and someone that was trained and this is like our mission Let's see, is to not trained certified because we know in the world of dyslexia okay they throw in so many people they do a three-day training for something on a dyslexia yeah. program and they go oh my teachers they're all trained they're all they're all good they know what they're doing yeah. and it's like no 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 in the world of dyslexia three-day training is not yeah. certification they're two yeah. different things so having someone like that do the work um can change a kid's life it can change their abilities 
but we don't do that. Instead, like I'm so tired of like, I get these IEPs and they're the same thing. Every kid has the same damn IEP where it's like preferential seating, um, work is chunked, extra time on a test and assignments. And it's like all the, it's like so basic that it's like, I'm doing all this anyway. Like I'm already starting there. Right, like she said, it's like, managing fraud IEPs. Yeah. Or when you see an IEP and it's so they've been copy and pasted so much that they have somebody else's name in it in the middle of somebody else's IEP. So it can be utterly daunting. One of the things that I try to do is one, um, I personalize IEP meetings. So any meeting that I go to, we read the IEP and we talk about all the regular nonsense. It's total bullshit. Um, and I say to parents, I need to know three things before you leave. One, what's your fa- kid's favorite class that they ever had, favorite teacher that they ever had. Two, what's the least favorite class that they ever had. So I'm not asking you to talk crap on a teacher, but I'm asking like, what is something that like they just struggled with because it was like, it was numbers, it was words, it was um, participating as a group. Like what's something that they hated? And then the third question is, what do I need to know about your child that this IEP is not going to show me that I need to know to best show up as the best possible teacher for your kid? And so most times parents can't even answer that last question because they've never even ever been asked anything about their actual kid. They've just been tested, given the data. No, we don't even know what to do with the data because we take all these other tests, but we don't really do anything with the data ever at schools that uh, I've been a part of. Um, Well, that's not true. Uh, in more recent years, in the past, we have done stuff with that data. Anyway, my, my point is that you are personalizing the IEP process. It is then communicating with parents. And look, I think that it's building a strong bond with parents to the extent that is possible. I realize there are a lot of asks on our time, but it, when we can connect with parents, we make this full circle experience. And then parents get to know that like, look, when the IEP is not working, it's not because your kid's not trying hard enough. It's not because you're a bad parent. It's because the system's broken and it's not giving your kid what they need. So of course they're not getting ready. They're not better at reading just because they have a one-to-one or because they're in, even if they're in small group, if someone's not certified to do the work, um, that it's like, who cares if there's less kids in there if the person that's doing the work doesn't know how to remediate your child. So it's really about trying to find, it's, I think, over-communicating with parents so that they know that like if your school can really pull it off or not when we're asked to do things like change and look this is one of those things caveat this is one of those things reynolds does i don't recommend everyone else go ahead and do this i'm just letting you know how it goes down when i am asked to change a kid's grade from a 12 percent because a student shows up and they're so utterly overwhelmed by just the number of people in class, by the work that's been given to them, that by all the stimuli that's happening, right? Because they need to be in a space that's more conducive to them. And I'm told I need to give that kid a 60, which is passing because we didn't pass them because we didn't like, because it's my fault somehow. And I just tell them, no, I refuse to do it. I will not give a 60 in there. So then what happens is the the admin goes in, they put a 60 in there and they change my grade. So I go back and put a note on that grade and say, just so it's clear, your child had a 12% this quarter. Um, and all these are all the things that were done. And that is still what happened. Now, look, I'm not doing that to get anyone in trouble. I'm not doing that to get a kid in trouble, to, to downplay their achievements or anything. Um, I do it because I don't want a parent to think, oh, 
my kid got a 60 and that's not like they passed like okay we're seeing some improvement when we're not because your kid really had a 12 and i was told that i'm not allowed to do that anymore but i'll tell you what i still do it every freaking time i'm not changing grades i'm keeping it real with the parents um because i want them to know that it's not working so that if they need to do something to get their kid what they need to get them i'm not gonna lie on the broken system's behalf i'm just not gonna do it so that has gotten me in trouble before and it's gotten me like meetings with all kinds of people before, but it's really, I'm just not going to do it because guess what? Education's only ever about the kids. So what do we do every day? I think that we, we acknowledge the fact that we do all, we do what we can, but then you, to me, it's like, it's showing up regardless because that kid needs to know that someone cares about them, that I'm not going to pass you because you're cute or you have a great personality or you're really nice. Um, or because you're quiet and attentive and you don't cause trouble. Um, that grades should don't just aren't just a reflection of your behavior. They're a reflection of your mastery of content. And so that mastery is going to look different for different kids. And so that's why IEPs exist. But like um, the it is or it's part of the reason anyway, but um, it is I'm going to show up for you every day and really try to do the best that I can to help you navigate a system and a world that is broken. And I think that that's the best thing, you know, to, to place to start. Then it's building a community around that kid is, I think it's grassroots in that shit. And like, we can't just count on the IEP or just the SPED department or anything. We have to have teachers and programs and things in place. It's finding, you know, like, I, I don't think most teachers even know how to deal with this sort of thing because you're not trained in college to deal with or to work with special education students and kids with learning differences. So it's about to the best of your ability, like suggesting training, suggesting certain folks come in and speak to your kids, to getting reading specialists to come in, getting um, special education advocates to come in that are really, really worth something. Not like the, there's a ton of terrible ones out there. Um, and, but, but like, it's it's doing it's thinking outside of the box of the things that you can do to help these kids to survive and to thrive um because it is it can be daunting too it's just a sad system i think when you're in it like that and you really see the damage that's happening and the kids that are going from middle school to then high school to like she said the secondary level and then you you know that you know as the teacher that they're not going to get the resources in high school yeah. they're never really going to progress on on their reading like the way that they should they're not they're just not and and it's just because it's the system that's that's broken and failed and i think you have to just I don't even know. It's just hard to be in. It's hard to be in. You, your heart breaks. So I think it, part of it is empowering parents to be able to make better choices and to know what their rights are and to know what um, they can do in yeah. that. But look, I'll say like, look in Philly, there's I, so many. I just want I'm to sorry, comment go ahead. back to somebody. Um, sure. P, I don't know what this is. Her, it's the American flag or it's P.A. Nevan. Okay. Um, uh, is saying like we need more lawsuits to fix the broken system I, I i kind of agree like that would help but it's also just it's rigged i mean we tried we tried to sue our school system here in our town that we live in yeah and we failed because it's 40 to it's i was asked for fifteen thousand dollars just to start just to start to put on a retainer and, and like, in oh, philly does everybody what have i was going to say and this goes to that so in philly it's much easier to sue the school system it and it's much easier to win However, in Jersey, they bleed you dry. There are so many lawsuits that these students are now being sent 
to schools that those schools are that are are overcrowded. They don't have the resources anymore because you only had the resources when you had this many kids. Now you have this many kids because you're made to take them yeah, and it's so like a money grab. And so that now we can't, we're not even remediating those students. No, it's so hard and it's such a system, which is why I think the, the bell that we ring constantly here at Rear Rapids Reynolds is like, you have to take care of yourself. You have to be an emotionally healthy and strong person. You have to put yourself forward or at the forefront so you can actually help all the people that that you're there to help or that yeah. you want to help. Yeah. Because if you don't put yourself in just giving, giving, give, you're just going to break and burn out. Like Because yeah. it's such a broken system. And it is it is sad. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You did say your name was Trish before. Thanks, Trish. Sorry. Um, so, and so I think where that starts is going in tomorrow – to school and really looking at what is like one thing that I can work on to change, to automate, to do that will work better. And then it's building that system over time where you're trying to figure out ways where like, um, how can we make sure that every kid is accountable, right? Or like every kid is at least has a relationship with someone that has a teacher that they're going to connect with that they can go to if they have trouble, right? So it's like building building that out first. And so one of the ways we do, I mentioned this in my book, fifth time mentioned today. Um, it is, uh, I know we're on time, but I want to just tell this because I think this is a really great strategy. It is, uh, we did this in a meeting once where we um, put everyone's name up on the wall, right? You just project it up on the wall. Every teacher gets a different color sticker. Uh, just little round cheap stickers. You buy them at the dollar. So you put like prices on them if you have a yard sale or something like that. Now you go to every kid that you have a relationship with, right? could be a great relationship. could be like, a no, they come in every once in a while and we check in and whatever. But like, there's a point of contact there. Now we can see what kids are getting an overabundance of attention and what kids are getting little to no attention. Then we divvy those, that the later part up, the kids that aren't getting as much attention or any attention at all. And we divvy those up. And now each teacher knows these are my two to three students that I have to connect with um, in some way, shape or form. And that starts changing the culture of the school. And then it is, it's doing things like that. So like everyone has a point of contact. Now, how can we make sure all teachers know that like, um, like teachers like understand, they even know what ADHD really is. They really know what autism is. They know what dyslexia is because everyone just thinks that's flipping your numbers and letters backwards and forwards. And it's not. Um, but that's why a kid can't tie their shoe probably at lunch. That's why someone doesn't have the balance or the wherewithal to do kickball, right? So it is getting folks, it's building in a culture of understanding. And then when we start understanding, we start seeing what's out there. We start seeing the problems. And then we work together as a team because even though the system's broken, how are we working together as a team to help build these young people up to start building a school that no matter who comes here, no matter what the laws or the resources are, we are able to do the work that is necessary to help these children out. But, um, but I think that's where it starts. So look, that was that was a long one. I, you're right. Um, but Andrea, I mean, gosh, look, folks, I know that this stuff is hard. I know that it is difficult. Um, and I just am so thankful that y'all are even on here to be able to to do this stuff. Can you take that comment off, please? Um, that it's really like you are showing up and being a blessing, being a light. Um, but look, this is corny, but uh, the lantern can only burn if it has fuel in it, right? So you got to fill that up. So I hope that you take the rest of today, find some shelter, 
and fill up, do something that rejuvenates you, something that excites you. And look for all the nerds out there like me, uh, new Fortnite season uh, chapter came out today. So uh, I played <laughs> one game with my son before, and um, I'm gonna. that's what I'm going to go do right now. So if you're wondering what Wonder Reynolds does after this, he's playing Fortnite. Um, yo, look, real quick. If anyone's in New Jersey, I'm going to be at the, what is it? Oh, it's, it's the called... longest conference name okay, ever. Ready? Ready. It's called the NJPSA FEA NJASCD conference. Just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> it's in Atlantic City. I'll be there on Thursday. I'm speaking about real world social emotional care. Um, and then I will be at, I have a graphic for this one, but it only pops up in the middle of the screen, so it looks dumb. Um, I'm at this conference, the Get Your Teach On conference, which is brought to you by Hope and Wade King, with like a ton of people that I'm very excited to meet. Like my boy Shivy Brooks, he's there in the uh, lower corner there. Um, I've known him for a long time, but we've never met in person. Um, or Kiana, I never met her in person either, but I am uh, good online friends with her husband or my publisher, Dave Burgess, is always great, dude. Hang on. It's just like a lot of really great people. I'm stoked. That's going to be in Orlando at the end of June. Um, and so I will be there presenting about um, secondary ed, uh, like, like teaching English practices. It's their first one, I think, that with high school. So if you're interested, I It's not like the first but oh, they're not? just getting into this okay. but they um, have a special education one which i'm really excited about and, yeah. and that sort of stuff so i think you can go to get your like teach on and figure out how to get your school to pay for it yeah yeah you should not pay for it yeah no don't pay for it go to go to get your teach on.com and then um like suggest that your school send you um we have friends that are I'm like sure their whole district is getting like like their district is sending like multiple teachers and then here's the good thing. If you have a hard time getting your, your work to do that or to sign off on that stuff, you go to conferences. I've gotten my school to pay for conferences. Um, and then I go back to school and during PD, I lead a session. And it's like, this is what I learned at ISTE this year. This is what I learned at this conference. This is what I learned at the NJPSA, FBA, LMNOP uh, conference. And it counts um, as uh, PD credits. They give you like a cert for going to their thing yeah. and all that So. So there's no downside and we get to hang out. So if look, if you're going to be in Atlantic city, hit me up. I'd love to see you. And then, um, if you can get to Orlando this summer and then I'll let everyone know there's other stuff that we're still working on places and spaces. We're going to be, uh, coming up this summer. So that's Colorado. it, right? Colorado in June. If you're there. Colorado in June, we'll be there. So, all right, gang, have a great week and, uh, we'll see you here next week. 1 PM Eastern standard time. Peace.